0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books and Science, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Galina Limarenko, doctoral candidate in neuroscience with a focus on biochemistry and molecular biology of neurodegenerative diseases at BFL in Switzerland, the host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Katy Berner about her new book, Atlas of Forecasts, Modeling and Mapping Desirable Futures. To envision and create the futures we want, society needs an appropriate understanding of the likely impact of alternative actions. Data models and visualizations offer a way to understand and intelligently manage complex interlinked systems in science and technology, education, and policymaking. Atlas of forecasts from the creator of the Atlas of Science and Atlas of Knowledge shows how we can use data to predict, communicate, and ultimately attain desirable futures. Well, Kati, welcome to the show. Thank you, Galina. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you here today with us. So as we have witnessed the unprecedented times of the recent global pandemic, I was wondering if you could start by uh, reflecting on how has it affected you and your work and maybe some main take-a- takeaways that you've gathered from this experience.
1: As you might have seen, we care deeply about data literacy, people being able to not just read data properly, but make their own data visualizations. And with the new book, also to make their own models of data so that they can ideally predict the future a little bit. And I have to say that thanks to uh, COVID, um, many bad things have happened, but also some good things have happened. And maybe that's the optimist in me because there are so many grim things that really, really impacted people's lives um, loved ones being gone and um, people losing their jobs but in all of this there are some good nuggets and one of them is that people had to learn how to read graphs data graphs of cases in their own local communities or worldwide number of uh, deaths or number of people that now have covid and that all impacted our lives in massive ways I think we all are very social animals and now being not able to see our loved ones and friends and family members, especially if they're far away and especially Mm. if you have to take a flight to go somewhere, is hard. So I think in in our world, um, we actually see much improvement in terms of how people can deal with data and how they understand predictions and how they understand visualizations.
0: So can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, happy to.
1: So I grew up in Germany. I did an engineering degree um, in Leipzig, my hometown. And I'm absolutely a maker. I like to build things. I like to build tools that others can use to um, create their own data visualizations, not just give them a visualization, but help them look at their own data, personal or professional data, in new ways. And it's it's wonderful for me that I can actually realize this dream um, that we have a team here that um, has many professional programmers and many students that build tools for others. But then going on in my own career, so I went and did a PhD in artificial intelligence, and that was fascinating. So This is many, many years back in time. And I I really loved to see how human and um, machine intelligence could be combined to do things that neither of them could do alone. But then I actually had my first uh, child and I realized that there's a long way to go between what machine learning algorithms can do and what this little baby in my arms could do. And I decided that maybe it takes too long to actually get to something that is as smart as what we human beings are right now. And that in the meantime, it would be much more beneficial to uh, create intelligence amplifiers. So you just uh, twirl the AI into IA. and these intelligence amplifiers, they would help us make better decisions at home, at work, in all kinds of environments. And so my team has been focusing over the last 20 plus years on creating data visualizations that make a difference and that um, ultimately help us all to um,
0: get to more desirable futures. So thinking about uh, your path through your uh, university or college um, were there any mentors or colleagues that really helped you along the way? And perhaps you could uh, could give uh, advice uh, to some early career researchers?
1: Absolutely. I think I was very, very lucky to have colleagues that um, got curious and in- interested and ultimately excited about what was going on. And they absolutely opened doors to me. They had wonderful advice. And I think you absolutely must have these Strong partners in your life to um, help you really understand where to go and where not to go, where the dragons are on the old maps of the world, and having this kind of network is incredibly important. Now being um, older and wiser, I think that what everybody should do, with a PhD student or anyone really, it doesn't have to be in the academic setting. Also in just real life, I think it's really good to um, ask some of the people that, that you admire and that you think they got it all figured out to just become mentors to you. And again, this could be in professional lives or in your private life. And there will be times in your life when you absolutely need to make that call and you need to get their advice because you just don't know if you should do the A route or the B route. And they might suggest a C route, which you didn't um, see before. So reaching out proactively to those that you admire and asking them, could you mentor me? Could you be a guide for me in this very complex world is um, a really great idea. And I have seen this many times now happening to me, where people reached out to me and asked me to be their mentor. And I thought, man, I should have done this more Mm. proactively
0: when I had my initial uh, career. That's an excellent advice. So your curiosity and very deep insight into the world of data is beautifully captured in your book, Atlas of Forecasts. So can you tell us what is it about and how did you come to writing it?
1: Yes, of course. So The Atlas uh, came out two days ago. I actually got uh, the first book to uh, be held in my hands today. So this is great Mm -hmm. timing for the um, interview. And it's it's wonderful. But it's also eight years of work. And you sometimes think about what else you could have done in those eight years. (laughs) But um, I think I'm very absolutely proud. And it's a team effort, as I think every book is. There's very barely a, a single person who could do it alone. I think they always get inspired by people say um, talk to, they work with, they interact with on a daily basis or just sometimes just one time and it really changes the way you think. And so this particular book, The Atlas of Forecasts, it's the third atlas in a series of atlases. Uh, so there's the Atlas of um, Science, the Atlas of Knowledge, and now the uh, finishing touch to the Trilogy is the Atlas of Forecasts. And uh, this book really tries to um, help people understand the power of models and maps together combined. So uh, as you already alluded to in a time of a pandemic which we all live through, it's really important to not just see what happened uh, over the last year or the last week, but to try to get an understanding of what might happen over the next week or over the next months. Many of us, we need to plan. We need to figure out how we get to see our family members again. We need to plan for our work. We need to make decisions if um, I or the university I work with And um, should open or not, should open the campus for face-to-face instruction and research or should stay closed and everything is still online. These are critical and important decisions and we need to make them. And in these cases, computational predictive models come in. And in some cases, it's expert panels which you can um, query and um, use to give you advice But in many cases, it's a lot of data that gets crunched, for instance, at the Center for Disease Controls or many other agencies around the globe, and in many research labs as well. And all this data has to be computed and compiled in a way that human experts can make sense of it. And then there needs to be a second step of translation where you need to communicate it to a much more general audience, to um, my parents, to my children, to um, anyone, um, others, many that, that are out there and that need to make better decisions in their life. So how do you do this best? So the um, book actually opens with the question, uh, why model? And um, there are many good reasons why you might like to have a good model. And um, the book also goes back uh, to times when um, there were um, uh, oracles that people queried, um, the Oracle of Delphi, for instance. Um, Mm. People always wanted to know what happens in the future, and they always had different ways (laughs) to get to answers. And some of those answers were correct, and others were more guesswork. But today, we have so much data and good algorithms and compute power that we can actually get ourselves a better understanding of what is likely going to happen. So the book is all about models, and it tries to get models um, understood by a general audience. So that's why it also took so much time to uh, write it because it's non-trivial to um, um, introduce formulas to general audiences. I think many of them have seen formulas in mathematics uh, courses and um, they didn't necessarily like like them back then and they might be happy not to be needing them ever again in their lives. However, most of... um, the readers will have used Amazon and there are definitely predictions of what else you might like if you just purchase something. Many of the readers might have played video games and uh, computer games. And there's a lot of um, computational algorithmic uh, involved in ultimately telling people what um, or to have you play against the computer. Mm. And there are many other predictions, including weather predictions and uh, COVID predictions that people Um, use almost on a daily basis.
0: So your book is really stunning in its presentation with so many um, excellent illustrations, but it also delivers quite a lot of information in it, which is very, very accessible uh, to general public. So can we delve into the science part a little bit? And can you describe some of the examples of the models? Because not all of them are equivalent, are they?
1: That's correct, yes. Um, So the... Atlas is organized on a double-page spread um, manner. <laughs> so every time you turn a page, you get a different topic oftentimes. And you can just um, cherry-pick also if you like. So there are sessions which just um, show you models that matter that really made a true positive difference that were um, used by policymakers or by educators or by Scientists to really help our collective understanding of a topic. Um, you have, for instance, um, on page nine, if you hold the book in your hand, uh, different models that, um, for instance, communicate communicate um, Ebola risks, uh, talking about the pandemic, uh, the evaluation mm-hmm. of travel restrictions, and in how far they make a difference or not, and how they should be um, put in place so that um, we still can travel but at the same time do it safely. You also have another map that shows um, short distances to large gaps in healthcare in New York City. Apparently, um, where you live in New York um, helps uh, very uh, concretely to predict um, how healthy you might be and how how long you might live, which is a little scary to to realize this. And of course, these are uh, general predictions. This is not one person, but in average, on general, that is actually a good indicator, and and it's really sometimes astonishing, sometimes scary to see what these models predict. But in many cases, the predictions are actually accurate, and we have to deal with the aftermath of understanding what they mean. Um, You might also um, go then to the part two, which is entitled methods. And you get to see um, quite a few um, overviews of how models typically come into existence. You will get to see that Many, many people have to communicate and collaborate closely in order to get a good model to come into existence. And oftentimes it's a subject matter domain expert who really understands, for instance, how COVID um, evolves over time and how spreading patterns uh, work. And then you would have a modeler who converts this all in a computational predictive model. And uh, the Atlas itself explains 10 different types of models, and there are many more, but we picked Mm. um, 10 and explained those in detail. And then you need a computational scientist um, who can program these models and make them efficient and really implement them on the cloud so that they can run and um, do model predictions. And then the code results have to be translated back to the modeler who then Translates that all back to the uh, domain expert, so that wise decisions can be made. And often the domain expert, let's say it's an epidemiologist, then needs to communicate this to the decision makers, which might be uh, politicians, um, local decision makers, um, university heads, uh, which really have to make these quite important decisions these days.
0: I really love this interdisciplinary approach that models uh, generally require. So even if you're studying biology, for example, but you want to contribute to environmental science, you might be able to do it because uh, there's just so many ways that you can, is it?
1: Yeah, it is. And actually many of the models that are featured in the Atlas are coming from other domains. So. For instance, the uh, flows of um, goods or the information on how um, diseases spread have inspired models on the diffusion of knowledge, uh, on the diffusion of reputation, on the diffusion of how uh, expertise is given from one generation of uh, scholars to the next generation. So we can learn from other sciences on how to model science, technology, education and policy uh, data and still uh, Uh, also help advance the original models because every single new domain gives new insights on how to extend these models, how to use them, when not to use them, which is also very important, and um, how to communicate the results. So one piece that you already alluded to is how to uh, use data visualizations to communicate the um, structure and uh, runs of these models, but also to communicate the results of the model runs. And so Mm -hmm. in the book, you will see hundreds of uh, ways to visualize modeling results and sometimes they use uh, geospatial maps and overlay patterns of diffusion. In other cases, they show timelines and show how uh, different um Types of entities evolve over time, interconnect or not connect over time, so network growth and um, and change over time is, is one of those examples. Uh, but you also get to see other types of visualizations that have been used successfully to communicate modeling results. And it's really my hope that um, many get to just browse the book and get new inspirations of how to model and visualize their own data.
0: So how much confidence can we put into models so do you agree with the saying that all models are wrong but some are useful absolutely yeah and i think models come
1: with confidence intervals so there are all models which are um, very likely true, because um, this has been a 200-year-old trend. Um, It's it's very unlikely that even major disruptions will make a change there. Uh, But then there are other um, models, like for instance of the stock market or housing market, etc., that uh, might be impacted in radical ways by some of the um, events that are going on around our globe. So I think there are systems which are rather stable and then there are systems which are not as um, stable and so just understanding the difference between um, different systems is incredibly valuable and uh, in the um, book also you will again uh, find ways that um, different stakeholders have used to communicate to each other What, um, kind of, um, trust should be put on a model and how it can be, how a model can be successfully used and how it should not be used. And so I think again, communicating cleanly, um, what the, assumptions are that go into a model design, what the limitations are of this model that is currently developed, um, what kind of uh, validation tests were run with the model, and, and which ones were not run, because there was no time or resources available for those. That is also very important to understand. And uh, again, there are also models in our world which just have to be um, 99.99% accurate because Mm. um, life depends on it. And then there are other models um, where people just want to have a a general understanding of how a system might react and work, and those uh, might not be validated um, at that level of rigor.
0: So do you have any favorite models uh, that were implemented in practice? Absolutely. And it's, it's, I think, really
1: tough to actually pick uh, favorites. Mm-hmm. Here. So, so I'm going to shy away from that. But um, what you see in the book is, is that there are many types of ways that models could be implemented. One of them are just mathematical models. Um, and those are um, sets of equations. And um, one um, model that, that many um, of the readers might be very familiar with um, are uh, rapid and rapid um, um, and wolf populations where as rabbits are growing, then, then wolf, of course, also uh, have more to eat. And then maybe they eat all the rabbits, which then leads to um, death for both types of species. Um, and, and so on those, these models can be very well uh, prescribed by just writing down um, equations. And they can, of course, also be um, simulated using computational algorithms. So that's um, something that you could do a NetLogo. Actually, anyone can do this uh, by just going to the NetLogo website and picking that uh, predator prey model type and then just seeing what different parameter values do to the run of the model and to the ultimate mm-hmm. outcome. Um, But you could also take um, some other models and you can build physical models. So when I visited the Miraikan Science Museum in Tokyo, Japan, they have a beautiful uh, model of um, global warming, which is a very physical model, which uses um, balls and um, um, tracks where these um, balls run along and and different metaphors to ultimately help us all understand the impact of different uh, parameters on how we will or not will be able to manage um, global warming and make a difference um, to it. And I think many of us have been affected by um, major um, flooding, by um, wildfires and, and heat waves going across Europe. I think we hopefully got the message that something is awfully wrong and that we need to do something. And again, models can help us all understand the quite intricate um, complex networks that exist between the different entities that we need to understand better in order to make a positive difference.
0: Oh, that's a really beautiful example of a physical model of the uh, uh, climate change.
1: Yeah, so if you are in Tokyo, if you happen to be in Tokyo, uh, visit Simuraikan, and uh, it's, it's a very, very physical, very beautifully designed um, model.
0: So you made a very uh, important point earlier on that we need to know when the model is good, but we also need to know when the model is not really performing as it should be. So are there any examples of models that were not really optimal or were not really useful or other ways how can we know when they're not?
1: Yeah, so there are some models where I couldn't track down the um, ultimate source um, credits, and still, I think they are great examples of what can go wrong if you use Mm. models. So, for instance, there were um, decision makers in Asia which uh, thought it is a great idea to help with the um, problem of having too many um, snakes, poisonous snakes in the environment by simply paying um, citizens um, to bring these snakes to uh, an official uh, place to ultimately um, contain them there. Mm. Uh, And the result was uh, ultimately that um, citizens caught snakes, brought them to the place, uh, the officially dedicated place, uh, but then also to quickly realized that this was a great way to make money, started breeding um, snakes, and ultimately um, the officials uh, realized that this was going on, shut down the program, and then the effect was, of course, that people which had been raising snakes uh, let them go, with the oh, effect no. that there were even more um, snakes than um, to begin with. So I think some of these predictions of what might be a good idea can go awfully wrong, and um, it is the... Um, beauty of, of models really is that, um, many people can look at, uh, possible futures that are predicted by experts, by computational algorithms or even by physical models and say, yep, yeah, this is what I understand how this system works or, we actually missed a critical factor, um, for instance, that people are very creative, innovative, and that they will very likely try to make money by breeding yeah. snakes, um, and therefore it might not work. So I think models and model visualizations oftentimes can help us get a much better understanding of these complex um interdependent systems um, which we couldn't gain otherwise if we just hold it all in our single heads and are not able to communicate to each other what system dynamics might actually exist and so models by themselves um, plus um, the visualizations of these models so that multiple stakeholders can all come around a square or a roundish table and really look at it and really agree yep This is how this is likely going to work. And we have two options, and we are going to pick A because it seems to be the most desirable future and most likely outcome um, that we want, and then implementing it. And then while the model is running and while uh, new data is coming in, computational steer the model to now take on this new data and really help people understand that it's going in the right direction or um, it might go in a direction which wasn't anticipated and then um, additional um, decisions might have to be made. So I think in many, many areas, be it a prediction of career trajectories, be it co- predictions of how students make it through a course and which student might need ha- how much handholding or what kind of um course, material structure and sequence is best for what kind of type of learner. That's another type of model we are working on. Um, But also ultimately understanding how to um, create innovations, you know, what types of funding might be most useful there. Should it be a workshop which brings together the brightest minds and some young folks as well? Or should it be um, a very focused research uh, project or should it be a project that generates data or algorithms? Oftentimes, funder have these options and they need to understand and, um, and evaluate ultimately what option is best, was best, will be best in the future because times change and what's good today might not be the best for tomorrow.
0: So is this the significance of descriptive models uh, as opposed to predictive models, so for example, like uh, maps that just uh, really allows you to visualize uh, the data?
1: Hmm, Yeah, so there could be predictive um, models that are just um, that have nothing to do with data visualizations and similar, uh, there could be descriptive models which never um, get visualized, not even a bar graph or um, the line graph or any of this. the difference between the two is really that the descriptive um, models try to take old data, as I would call it, and there could even be data from today in there. Let's say we are making a, a prediction of the news. Um, is it getting more... um um depressive or not <laughs> that's not a good way of doing it but uh, let's say we want to predict if there is a positive or a pessimistic tone in news so you take all the news over the last week and including today as much as you can get it up to the point right now and you start analyzing this in a linguistic way and you um, do sentiment analysis and you ultimately uh, identify words that are more positive and um, and, and uh, on the optimistic side and uh, those words which are more on the pessimistic side. So this all can be done and you can just um, um, get a a, a model for this which is descriptive of the data that you have seen. Now, if you have that data, you could also use a predictive model and you could try to predict given the trend that you see in um, the usage frequency of these words, for instance, Uh, is it going upwards and maybe it's also continuing to go upwards or downwards uh, same or just being level might be Mm. continuing like this. But of course, there can always be external factors, uh, a major crisis happening somewhere close by that then increase or um, decrease the depression or happiness levels in in a certain data set, um, taking this example further. Um, But for the Predictive models, I think there are very, very good models that now exist that can be used to help us understand very likely futures. Again, with uh, confidence intervals and not for a single person, but on, 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 ge- in general. And so these kind of predictive models are incredibly valuable. For, um then running all kinds of services that again most people use on a daily basis uh, be it from uh, the predictions that you get by google on your news feeds um, be it um, amazon again be it what facebook brings up in terms of advertisement and so on and so on so i think there are many many predictive algorithms that are already already exist in people's lives. And then there are also uh, algorithms that affect you on the health side, uh, where algorithms are now used to uh, detect, um, for instance, um, put likely um, tumors in in breast mammograms, for instance, and um, and really all... advancing of what um, humans and um, machines can do together so oftentimes there's a human expert involved but um, machines are just way faster and going through massive amounts of data uh, identifying potential likely uh, problems and then experts coming in and uh, confirming that this really might be the beginning of a tumor and then um, maybe doing follow-up um, studies there And uh, similarly, you could do similar um, algorithms running over, for instance, learning uh, data, running over scientific um, data, or over technology data. And oftentimes that is done. And many of the examples that I found particularly um, useful and valuable and insightful and actionable are covered here in the book. And um, the actionable part is actually very important to understand. So there are many models out there which do change minds. People have, after seeing them, a very different understanding of their world. They understand it better. They uh, realize that their previous understanding was wrong, incorrect, imperfect, or partial. Now, with this new understanding, they might or might not be able to do something. So, for instance... um, a a policymaker might very well understand that something needs to happen, but might not be in the position or have the authority or um, um, ability to implement what is actually needed. They might be able to talk to somebody who has that ability, but um, they they themselves might not be able to do it. And so what we oftentimes um, do is to work extremely closely with decision makers to truly understand what they can and cannot do in their position Uh, And to then give them algorithms and uh, models and data visualizations that they can use on a daily basis to really help them understand um, their portfolio, if you wish, um, and also how it evolves over time so that they can proactively steer it, almost like uh, coming to your office in the morning and seeing um, all of the things you care about on your screen. And you will get to see some that are doing great. They're all green and happy. And then there are some areas which are red, which definitely need your attention. And there might even be a blinking one, which which really needs your attention right now. So I think having people get a more holistic understanding of um, these complex interdependencies that many of us are facing on on a professional uh, basis, and also understanding what new data sets and new algorithms become available and could be incorporated in our world, uh, so to increase our understanding and to increase the models we have and we use on a daily basis. Um, that's really a future that, that we all, I think, are going towards. Um, and, um, the more people ultimately understand these models, they all, the better we all will be off. Because if it's just, um, computer scientists and engineers which understand these models that's not good enough i think we really need to have um, a much better understanding of models by anyone and i think it's totally feasible because um some of these models can be playfully explored. You know, you can just um, mm. take your entire family on a trip. And again, NetLogo was already mentioned. There are many other online models that are really fun to just play with and they will give you new insights. And many of them are mentioned in the book. And so it's I think it's a new way of, of just looking at our world and engaging with it so that we get to see uh, what model to use when, what kind of visualizations work f- works for one um, area, but not for others. Um, to kind of, with open minds and eyes, look in your environment where models are already used and you're touching them quite frequently and um, engage in a discussion of how models um, could be used in your personal lives more efficiently, but also in your professional lives. I think that's where models really can shine because oftentimes it takes uh, larger databases and more compute power than you might have at home uh, to uh, really get some of the more complex systems um, understood and communicated.
0: Oh, that's an excellent illustration on how models can contribute uh, to our society. So what discoveries along your journey to writing your book, Atlas of Forecasts, surprised you the most? <laughs> this is really
1: interesting. So um, if you read through the acknowledgements, you will see that this book really has benefited a lot from many, many experts. And I was really interested to see how many models are out there developed by social scientists, economic and behavioral scientists, physicists, um, uh, biologists, um, many, many um, sciences out there. Almost every single science now has models. And it's interesting that whenever a new model is uh, developed, it at some point very soon later after that, that uh, point of discovery, it's also applied to science or it's also applied to technology developments because our, people are curious to understand mm-hmm. what we know uh, collectively and what our expertise is. And so, um, in many cases, you see a model come into existence in let's say economics, and then very very quickly, it's also um, as applied to study the. Um, Scientific data sets such as uh, papers, patents, grants, clinical trials, uh, scientific data sets, news items about um, science. And then, of course, it, it creates new insights. It, it's slightly different uh, data than, than the original domain had. And um, just the proliferation of, of this model application is, is quite fascinating to see. Uh, The other piece that I I found really interesting also is that different teams which work on models, they really have very different setups. So, for instance, the team by Dirk Helbing at at ETH in Zurich, very different. Uh, Lots of uh, really smart um, students and postdocs working on very specific um, projects together. Uh, Then I was at the Kanavé in the Netherlands, the Königliche Akademie der Wissenschaften in the Netherlands. And that's... a very different setup where there is a lot more uh, queries that also come from different agencies and uh, policy officials and those queries have to be answered and they are very practical questions that need to be answered and then um ultimately um I was also at the uh, I spent my um, most recent sabbatical at the OECD um, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development in Paris and it was a wonderful time in Paris and there you have politicians and um, research experts and data experts uh, from almost the entire globe come together mm. in a very fruitful environment to um, really help each other understand how to best analyze and communicate this data to policymakers and researchers and many, many others which have to understand the state of affairs of our global economies and um science technology education environments because there will be no innovation without education there will be no science without proper education so how does it all interlink and what do we need to teach today to empower the generation that is now growing up, um, so that they can do the innovation tomorrow. And so again, having all these um, different environments, um, which are all needed in order to advance science, technology, education, policy making, is, is very quite fascinating. And so in the Atlas uh, of Forecast, you will see many, many examples that came from being in contact with these different environments. And uh, you will also see that we held a number of meetings that brought together hundreds of experts um, to, in a very focused manner, discuss how these models can be advanced, how they can be better used, how they can be visualized and communicated better, how they can be introduced into uh, teaching and research better. And um, ultimately, that gave me the ability to um, pick um, the set of um, models that you get
0: to explore and have fun with in the book. So if you could have one model that was really precise and really accurate, which one would that be? I think
1: you might not get that, sorry. But
0: (laughs) I think the best uh, ways
1: to understand our world is actually to not just uh, apply one model, but maybe two models. If both models predict the same outcomes, that's much more powerful than having just one model. In the US, um, if you have a hurricane, but you actually get the... um, U.S. model and the European model shown on TV. Um, so you get two predictions um, in TV. So then you can pick your favorite <laughs> model mm-hmm. or you can see in how far they agree or disagree. Um, so I think similarly, um, in your normal uh, life, it's, it's actually quite useful to look at one problem from multiple vantage points. So coming back to uh, the original question about how to pick good mentors I think it's good to have mentors that come from different um, vantage points, different cultures, different um, lines of research, um, because they will hopefully get to advise you in a better way. And that's where it becomes so, so important to find a way to communicate across scientific boundaries. So again, you oftentimes, if you use words, it's not going to work because we all have a very different understanding of what a prototype is, of what um, certain other terms refer to, etc. But if you use um, concrete visualizations, people can typically then find problems or find out um, things that just don't seem to be right, and they can start discussing this. Another way of uh, bringing clarity are formulas. So if you have an audience that all can read and understand formulas properly, it's a great way to talk about uh, and across um, scientific boundaries. So I think in my world, in the many, many application domains we have worked with, formulas or pseudo code or visualizations of data models, model runs, model setups, those are the two things that work. Um, just text, just um, discussing things verbally oftentimes does not work necessarily.
0: Well, we've taken up a lot of your time. So can you tell us where our listeners can find more information on on what you're currently working on and also about your book?
1: Sure, sure. So the Atlas of Forecast is, of course, available at the MIT um, book site. Uh, It's also available on Amazon. It's a great Christmas present, by the way, also, if you're already planning ahead. Um, You can also then... um, if you like uh, this book, you can in the Amazon way, you can get to the Atlas of Knowledge, which teaches anyone on how to map. So that's really focusing on empowering uh, everybody to have higher data literacy and data visualization literacy. Or if you want to go back in time, you can also get the first Atlas, which is the Atlas of Science, which helps everyone um Realize that you can now map science and technology developments over time. You can map your career trajectory over the landscape of science. So those three books are now completed. That's the Atlas Trilogy, as we call it. Um, going forward, uh, we are part of a very exciting uh, project that is um, aiming to map the human body at single-cell resolution, uh, an atlas of atlases, of tissue atlases. And that um, project is... Um, funded, um, the part that I'm part of is funded by the National Institutes of Health. And there is another effort, the Human Cell Atlas, that um, has many other funders as well, and uh, is highly international and creates a wonderful um, research environment for many young and uh, senior um, experts to work closely together across disciplinary da- boundaries to map the 33 trillion, I think is our best estimate of the mm. number of cells in our body. So um this project is going forward and I think there will be another atlas coming for that, but that will take us a while. So um, thank you again for um, the interview. And if people want to um, look at interactive maps, please, please do go to scimaps.org. So sci like science and then maps like maps and .org. And uh, if you go there, you will get to see a hundred maps of science technology and also many, many interactive data visualizations and the 17th iteration of this uh, exhibit, so we have been doing this for 17 years now, will come into existence very shortly. So watch out on the Twitter feed and on the um, Facebook uh, channel we have for the exhibit. Um, And there's a lot of um, new cool data that got mapped uh, during the pandemic time but also need new ways to really represent data in a way that anyone can understand it and ideally use it to do better decision-making in their personal and and in their
0: uh, professional lives. Oh, that sounds super interesting. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It has been really a fascinating discussion into the world of data. Thank you.